0: couple weeks ago when I recognized that this weekend was going to be talking about the mustard seed, I was like, oh, yay. Um, we've all heard this story so many times. It's a story that is very familiar, Yeah, I'm going to be honest. How many of y'all grow mustard? Huh, exactly. Okay, so it's kind of problematic. In fact, I was even sitting here thinking about it and visually the image that comes into my mind is just a tiny little vial with hundreds of little mustard seeds in them. And I thought to myself, what if we passed out one of those? Like like what we do during Holy Week when we pass out those nails, you know? Would you be able to hold on to that itty-bitty, teeny-tiny mustard seed for a long time? I know I wouldn't. I'd lose that thing before I even left here. Like, I would get distracted at some point, thinking it's there. I would, like, breathe too heavily, and it would go flying, and it would be gone. It's because it's not the object itself. It's about what's intended to do. Christ doesn't say, you will worship that mustard shrub, and that mustard shrub will be the most important thing in and of itself. No. What he's saying is this will provide shelter. This will provide safety. This will provide comfort. Now, if that doesn't resonate with you very much, it might mean that you're very comfortable in your life. Or perhaps we need to kind of up our level of imagination. Imagine a barren desert, way hotter than it is in here right now. This would be comfortable, friends. (laughs) By the way, it's not, but bear with me. Very hot. Sun beating down upon you. There's no other option. You see this shrub. Now, you're thinking in human terms, and you're like, there's no way I can get under that shrub. That shrub does me no, no good. I recognize that we're all kind of flying on this rock through space, and we're really small in comparison, especially in comparison to God. And so, imagine yourself being significantly smaller. In that vast, massive desert, you're ant-sized. It seems as though all is lost, but way in the distance, there's hope. I see something. I can't make out what it is yet, but it's there. I'm going to go explore that. I'm going to go witness that. I'm going to go see what it is before me. Now, at first glance, that mustard seed or that shrub in and of itself, it's nothing remarkable. It's a shrub. I mean, I don't know about you, I've never looked at a shrub and been like, wow, that's impressive. It's a shrub. But, nonetheless, one should marvel at that, given especially the fact that its origin was so tiny. We don't marvel at anything. Do we? I mean, we really don't. But this is one of those things that we should marvel about. To recognize that something with the tiniest of beginnings can mean everything in a time of need. This is why Christ likens the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. It's got great potential. But it requires just as that mustard seed, some cultivation. It requires some cooperation. It needs nourishment. And this is true within each and every one of our lives. Why did Jesus use that as an example? Because it's completely forgettable. Because it is something that you need to really dive into and recognize and realize that that with the simplest of beginnings becomes one of the most dense protective shrubs I mean if we're ranking shrubs something I've never done but imagine for a moment the church is intended to be this oasis of sorts amidst barren desert it's supposed to be a hope and a life giving source of consolation of healing But it's only that if we cooperate with that. The kingdom of God started long ago, before we even knew who each other's names were. As it has gone through time, it has spread out in its own way. Some plants look very similar, some plants look very different. Some plants, they don't grow very well, some plants have thorns. But what Christ was trying to let us know is that what we're called to be is that safe refuge. What we do when we enter into this place is we make what is merely a building, a church. Now bear in mind, there were synagogues, but there weren't churches. Churches were originally all the civic buildings that got used. It's why we use uh, the various titles that we use for different types of worship spaces. You got your chapels, your basilicas, your cathedrals. It's referring to specific objects within it. It's no more or less of a church because it's what happens within there that is most significant. It's easy, though, to worship and be like, oh, I go to a basilica. Oh, I go to a shrine. It's a title. But what happens within it is everything. What we bring to this space is what makes church good. What we bring to the Christian community is what makes Christianity what it's called to be, which is loving acceptance, which is safe harbor, which is shelter, which is protection, which is nourishment. It's all of those hallmarks of hospitality and goodness. That is what the church is called to be. But as we heard even before the beginning of the rite today, we know that the church is not always perfect. Church is made up of people. People have egos, agendas, and are sinful in their nature. It's the result of being born into a world of sin. Unless one chooses to live a life that's different, one will always do what has been done before and if any of you have ever sat in any church staff meeting anywhere anytime you have heard the words, this is the way, we've always done it. That's the quickest way to make me go crazy in like two seconds flat. Because the church is alive. Keep in mind The church began with 12. Also bear in mind, one of those 12 was a complete jerk. (laughs) And yet, where are we today? It's about allowing ourselves to ascend to be better, not in a term of judgment, but seeking to be aligned with that which is good whenever we possibly can. To be illuminators, which means that we don't ignore the tragedies that exist, but we bring attention to them and we ask, how may I counter that with goodness and with love? You got a problem with the church? Get in line. But what it really comes down to is about allowing ourselves to rise up, to be that abounding love. Because keep in mind, what we do in this space here and now, calling it the Mass, it's not about what we're doing while we're here. We call it the Mass because it's about what happens when we leave this space. It is about the way in which we leave these doors and we bring that grace which comes from God and we send it out into the world by the way that we live our lives. A life that is supposed to be accepting and loving, and merciful, and hopeful. And does it mean that you see things or don't see things that drive you crazy? You're always going to see that. But it's how do I respond to what I see with profound love? How do I allow myself to be a greater love, a greater unifier, a builder up of community? And that begins with what we do here and now. And so, my friends, wherever it is that we plan on being later today, may we be ever so intentional as we come forward to this table to be fed with what we need to be fed with. May it be in abundance if it needs to be. So that as we leave this space here and now, we may be purveyors, givers, illuminators, and healers bestowing that great love of God in each and every hello, every sip of water, every smile. And in doing so, we begin to bring about the kingdom of God here and now. Peace be with all of you on this Sunday. May this be such a great opportunity, and may we receive every grace and blessing that we also desperately need. Amen.